This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. This morning we wrap up our sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And as we do so, I've been thinking back about the, the things that we've been learning, the, the trends that have come through each of the, the topics that we've covered through the, this uh, teaching about wisdom. And one of the things that we, we've learned specifically from is the standard that, that, that wisdom in Proverbs is calling us to, the, the bar that's raised for us to, to aspire to accomplish. And it's been valuable for us to see the way Scripture points us upward. It, we've also noticed the on the other side of the coin, the, the warnings against uh, what will happen when, when we, we don't reach for that bar, when, when we avoid wisdom or when we embrace foolishness, the kinds of consequences we can expect to happen. And we've learned a lot of valuable information about those kinds of decisions as well. Another, another really great point that we've, we've been talking about is this idea of surrendering to God as King, of Jesus as Lord of our lives, and, and the struggle that we have doing that for each of us to acknowledge what it is that we've been living for. That, that for each of us, the throne of our lives has someone or something sitting on it. And in order for Jesus to rule, in order for him to be Lord of our lives, we have to remove that from his seat and allow him the place that he deserves. And each of us are living for something, maybe in a different way. Some of us are living for relationships, hoping for, to, to gain the approval, affirmation, or affection of someone. We have a, a parent or, or a spouse or, or, or a child even, or someone that we admire, we want to develop a relationship with. And so we begin making decisions based off of what we think will please them, what we think will get a response from them. And we begin, whether we intend to or not, living for that person, living for that relationship. Some of us have sat down on that throne ourselves. And, and if we're going to be perfectly honest, we're living to fulfill our own desires. We're, we're living to gain recognition. We're, we're, we're living according to, to our own pride and making our decisions off of what we want, what will, what will improve ourselves. There are a variety of things that we can live for. And uh, concluding our series with the topic of finances is, is appropriate because each of us struggles with that idea of living for finance, of devoting ourselves to working and earning and increasing and saving and preparing for the future. And in one way or another, we devote a significant amount of our lives to this area of finance. For, for some of us, we are working overtime, sacrificing time, making decisions based off of how we can save and, and squirrel money away into retirement savings and prepare for eventualities. Others of us are, are living for finance because we have become so burdened with debt that we are, are trapped, trying desperately to get out from under the weight of that oppressive force. Not only living paycheck to paycheck, but in some cases, paying the, the minimum due, knowing that the interest we're not even keeping up with and that that debt is increasing all the time. And because of that, very much of our attention and our time and our energy is dedicated to 
finance for whatever reason that we find ourselves living for finance. Scripture teaches us wisdom that helps us address our perspective to, to align our, our attention and attitude in a way that will be wise for us instead of living for and according to this idea of wealth. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 1 through 4 begin our study in, in this area, teaching us wisdom like this. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Now these words very clearly define the struggle that we face, the difficulty that we have each and every day facing this, the struggle of, of, of defining the boundaries of finance in our lives, of, of keeping them where they belong and not allowing them to overcome, to dominate, to become the focus. These words acknowledge the significance that money has, knowing that we need it, knowing that, that we use it, knowing that it, we pay for our necessities with it, and yet not allowing it to become elevated not sacrificing things we care about to provide for our families and our future. Wisdom calls us to keep finances in proper perspective. And that proper perspective begins with integrity. That a good name is more desirable than great riches. Wealth should never be something that changes our attitude, never changes our our personality. It shouldn't, it shouldn't drive us to become something that we're not. And we should never never step across that line of integrity in order to gain. We should never cheat people or deal with them dishonestly to improve our financial standing, but we should allow integrity to, to, to permeate all the aspects of our lives and be above board and honest with people that we're dealing with. We should allow wealth to, to change us, to affect our thinking and bring about negative perspectives. And it's easy for, for wealth to do that. In some ways, we allow wealth to, to define us, to become our identity. And we think about the things that we, we accumulate. And, and we, in, in many ways, frame our identity around those things. And all of us have, have brands that we like, brands that we prefer. But sometimes we allow our identity to get wrapped up in, the, in, those, in those things. There are you know, people who, who buy and drive Mustangs, and they have a, a club, a, a group of, of people who, who identify themselves as lovers of, of vehicles and particular makes and models. There's some who, who will uh, purchase Harley-Davidson and, and drive a motorcycle around and, and find community among people who like to go on rides together. Now, there, there's great value in, in developing relationships and connecting with other people and using resources for what they're worth, but when we allow that, that, those brands to identify us and define our living and our decisions, we're stepping into dangerous territory. In some ways, these negative perspectives alter the way we view worth, and we begin to esteem ourselves based off of what we have in the bank. And when things are, are going rough, when the stock market takes a little downturn and we, we get worried about those funds, we start to 
feel differently about ourselves, about our standing, about where we are. When, when things are going well, when we, we have a, a certain amount in, in, in our accounts and we've, we've been able to purchase the things that define our status in that way, when we purchase a, a certain size of house in a certain neighborhood and we have a certain kind of car, we begin to feel good about ourselves because of the things that we own, because of the, the status that they provide. And we view our worth based off of those possessions sometimes. And even more detrimental perspective is when we start to look into the lives of other people and compare and determine their worth based off of finance and possessions. Rather than allowing these negative perspectives to take root in our lives, we should remember perspective that the Lord provides. Rich or poor, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what things you have, we are all made by God. And we should find our identity in our Creator. We have all been deemed worthy by God of his forgiveness and grace, worthy enough that he would send his son to die for us, worthy to be adopted as sons and daughters, heirs in his kingdom. And we should find our value and our worth in his eyes and not in the eyes of other people, not based off of the things that we own or possess. And that our purpose would remain in him as well, that we would live according to his will and his way, that we would make our decision based off of what we see God wanting for us rather than making our decisions off of what will improve our financial standing of how we can increase and how we can resolve it and live in that cycle of finance. Verse 3 warns us about the uncertainty of the future, that the prudent see danger, and they take refuge from that danger. And it's important for us to think about how, how the future is uncertain. And we need to be prepared. We, we, we do need to be disciplined. We do need to save. We do need to, to set aside funds for emergencies because they will happen. We do need to be prepared for those eventualities. But not overcome by them in a way that we're bound to a style of living that does not honor the Lord. Wisdom of Proverbs even teaches us the importance of leaving an inheritance behind for the next generation and the generation after. But notice the precarious situation that we find ourselves in, spiritually speaking, as Scripture calls us to live for greater things than just finance. And there's a fine line between being prepared and being overwhelmed, of, of saving and being disciplined and sacrificing time with family to work overtime and increase our, our holdings. It's a, it's a difficult thing for us to make good decisions and, and to know the value of hard work, of, of providing for our families, of making good use of our hands and making sure that we're not a drain on the generosity of others, but instead in a place where we can be generous to other people and demonstrate the love of Christ through our kindness and care. This perspective of wisdom recognizes the usefulness of money, but doesn't elevate it beyond its usefulness. So we discover proper perspective that we should have in regard to money is that we are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. A steward is a caretaker of someone else's resources, a manager, an overseer. We look into the Old Testament, we, we read the, the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, found himself in Egypt as, a, as a, a servant, a slave in the house of Potiphar. And because of his diligence, because God blessed him, everything that he put his mind to, everything, everything that was placed in his hands 
became successful. And Potiphar uh, elevated him among, among the other servants to a place where he was in charge of almost everything in Potiphar's house. And, and everything that he oversaw was successful. Herds and flocks, finances, managing the other workers in the house. He made sure everything was being used for a purpose and that it was productive and growing. When God calls us to be stewards, he calls us to view the things in our lives appropriately. That all our, all our belongings, all our possessions, all the funds that we have access to are things that God has blessed us with. That we are stewards of those resources that he has entrusted to us. And the decisions that we make about them should be decisions that make them productive, purposeful, not necessarily about our own gain. It's important for us to, to remember the value of, of that perspective, of changing our minds about the things that we own. And, and that's a difficult thing to do because we have, we have paperwork that says they're ours. We have a deed to a house, titles for cars, receipts for the things we buy. And, and we, we begin to, to take hold of this mindset that these belong to me. I have evidence, proof, a paper trail that shows they belong to me. Uh, but when we, when we are driven by that, that self-centered, that self-focused perspective, we're, we're tempted to use those things for our own selfish purposes, our own gain, our own improvement. When we are able to view ourselves as stewards of God's resources, then we begin to think outside of ourselves. We begin to think about how our resources, how our, our home, our vehicles, our, our Money can be used for greater things. We can even grow ourselves through the process of surrendering those things to the Lord and allowing Him to guide us in the way they're used. And we grow in hospitality. We grow in generosity. We grow in our sense of loving kindness as we consider others and work for the good of building relationships and helping draw people to the Lord instead of simply gathering and gaining and collecting and preparing for the future. In order to do that, it means that I have to overcome my sense of expectation, my sense of entitlement I deserve, and instead surrender to the perspectives God has for me of living in gratitude for the opportunities, living in gratitude for the resources God has entrusted me with. I also have to remember that, that wealth can be wiped out much more quickly than it's accumulated. Proverbs 25 23 verses 4 and 5 say this, Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. When we think about the future, we see the need to be financially prepared for retirement, for the unexpected, for the opportunity to leave an inheritance for future generations. And, and we, we do that. We, we're disciplined. We set money aside. We save. We have insurance, home insurance, car insurance, life insurance, health insurance. We, we're prepared for eventualities. And we have good intentions about being prepared and saving and setting aside. And those are all good and healthy practices. As long as we keep the right perspective. When we become overwhelmed, when we become cross that line, we, we find ourselves placing more and more trust in the security that money provides. Knowing all the time that money is fleeting and we can't take anything with us. 
Becca's family lives in Port Charlotte, Florida, and for the past couple of weeks, we've been watching the path of Hurricane Ian and worrying and wondering and seeing on the news all of the destruction and, and all of us painfully aware of how temporary our things are. Houses, businesses, churches, all of them at the mercy of the weather. Now, our friends and family in Florida are, are fine. They got the power back on within a few days. They didn't lose anything substantial. They all recovered pretty, pretty well. And we're, we're glad for that. We're glad for the way that God took care of them. But at the same time, we're, we have walked away from that with this reminder of how temporary things are. And reminded that, that all those things that money buys, all of those, those things can't provide for us the way that God can. When we were talking about the sermon this week, Sean made a comment about the, what the things his mother used to talk to him about when he was growing up. And, and she would say to him that in, in most of the areas of our lives, as we, as we grow and mature, we, we become more independent, except for one. You think about that. When, when, you, when you're a child, you start learning to make decisions for yourself. You become more independent as you learn how to drive and you're not dependent on mom and dad to take you or you become more independent. When you get your, your first job and you make your own money and you pay for some of your bills and insurance, you, you become more independent. When you step out of the house and find a place of your own, you're, you're all, always, as you're growing and maturing, becoming more independent except for in the area of spiritual growth. When we mature spiritually, when we, when we grow in the way that God is calling us to grow, we become more dependent on him learning to trust him, learning to surrender to him, learning to yield to his will and to his way instead of striving to accomplish our will and our way. We learn to trust him. We learn to depend on his strength and peace where ours would fail. And we begin to trust in the security that he provides because we know that even the security that comes from our savings and our insurance and all the things that we've accumulated can fail. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Proverbs 27, 24, for riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all the generations. We know how, how fleeting these things are, and yet it's hard for us to place our trust where it belongs. Why? Well, because finances are a tangible thing that we place our trust in. We can see and touch and taste and smell money. I don't recommend that you taste it. It smells kind of funny, but we can. It's tangible. It's real. We can count it. We can measure it. We know what our expenses are. We know what our savings are. We know what our income is. And we can measure. Do we have enough to meet the needs? Do we have enough to save and prepare for the future? It's all measurable and tangible. And so because of that tangible nature, it's easy for us to place our trust in the way that it meets those needs. When we think about trusting God, now we're dealing with the intangible. Now we're dealing with the immeasurable. And because we can't quantify, because we can't guarantee, we have difficulty with that idea of trust. Now, we're trying to quantify and measure what cannot be measured, the, the infinite nature of God, his immeasurable strength, his unending love, his eternal grace, his unyielding power, 
that never end. But because we can't quantify them, we have trouble with that idea because we can't guarantee here's exactly what will happen. Here's, here's the needs that I have and here's where God will meet them. And, and we don't have that tangible nature of see and feel and touch with God. And so we worry and we wonder and that produces in us anxiety, fear, uncertainty in a way that's different in those tangible things. And the more that we practice, the more that we learn. The more that we experience trusting in God, the more we grow in the area of trusting God. And it's important for us to learn that lesson. It's important for us to, to grow in that area as we practice trust in God and, and develop that, that muscle of trust. When, when I was a kid, that we sang a hymn in church, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. Think about how we learn to trust God more. It's by acknowledging when God provides. Now, I would, I would venture to say most of us ask God for things when we are in need, when there's a problem, when there's some overwhelming thing that, that, that we can't control. We turn to God and ask for him to intervene, ask for him to care, ask for him to provide. How often do we then return to God and say, I, I asked for you to intervene and here's what I saw you do. Here's where I saw you care for me and my family. Thank you. There's value in acknowledging when God answers prayers. And for some reason, we, we miss that step when, we, when we're praying to God. We ask for lots of things, but, but we, we forget to come back and acknowledge God's provision and thank him for that. And when we, when we begin that practice, it's so valuable in our lives because it helps us build trust. It helps us visualize the pattern of God's provision in our lives. We look back and say, well, here, here's a moment that was out of my control and I was overwhelmed and helpless and I saw how God intervened. And then... Here's another situation where, where I saw God care for my family in a way that I couldn't. Here's another situation. And we look back over the course of events of God providing, God caring, God intervening in our lives. And we see, well, this is a, this is a discernible pattern. Now that I have another significant need, I can see how God has been providing for me all along and then step forward in trust. That because we have seen God acting consistently in the past, we can expect God to continue acting in that way. And we grow in our ability. We grow in faith and our, our ability to step out beyond our means, beyond our strength, beyond our skill, where we then have to trust in God because we've been practicing that idea of trust in him. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he gave them these words as part of the prayer. Give us today our daily bread a consistent acknowledgement of how God is providing for needs so that when they prayed, they would remember that it's God who supplies. Now, that's, that's, that's a difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around. And we have to be purposeful in thinking about how God is providing for our needs. Why? Well, because when, when I work and make money, I get a paycheck, I put it in the bank, I use those funds to buy bread and meat and the things that my family will eat. And we prepare those meals and put them on the table and we eat together. Now, I look back through the course of events. I put food on the table. 
I provided for my family. And it's a difficult thing for me to say, no, wait, let me think about how God is providing for my family, how God provides for me, my life, my strength, my skill, my ability, all the things that make me able to do a job are given to me by God, entrusted to me. God has prepared this place for me to serve, a place where I give my time and energy and I get a paycheck. Because of God's provision, I'm able to purchase the food that grew by God's hand from the ground. If it's vegetation, the animals that have grown, that have become me, that that God is providing the means for me to, to purchase those things and place them on the table. When I see that food there, it's not me who's put it there. I'm grateful to God for the way he provides. And that reminder is significant to me. It's significant to us to acknowledge God's provision, even in the smallest things that meet our needs, that it's God caring for us in those moments to align our perspective with him and his will and his way, reminding us that he can be trusted. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 say, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. When we're faithful with finances, we place our trust in God. And we practice that placement of trust. Practice growing in the area of trust. The, the, the challenge of stewardship is to consider how we can be faithful in the way that we use what we've been blessed with how we learn to be faithful, how we allow God to work in our lives through all these areas of finance and blessing. We look in the Old Testament, we find a clear description of what faithfulness looks like in finances. And it's very clear that God calls his people to offer to him a portion of what he has blessed them with. And consistently through Scripture, we read about a tithe, a 10%, a tithe that's representative not only of a 10% of income, but a first fruit offering which is the the first and best of what we have. When God's people were shepherds, they gave the first and best of their flocks, the animals that were perfect, without blemish, without broken bones. Those were the offerings given to God. When his people were farmers, they gave to God the best of that produce, the first 10% that looked and tasted and smelled the best. And it was a sacrifice to give that best to God. That Example remains true in our lives today that when we receive an income, the first 10% of that money is set aside for God. And, And the practice of that giving is significant. And it works in us and it grows us in in a variety of ways. It helps us to one, worship God, because we know that that offering is a sacrifice, that we're giving up things that we want, sometimes giving up things that we think we need, so that we can give our first and best to God. It is a demonstration of the value we place in God over and above our our finances or resources, the things that we could buy that we are honoring God financially by giving back to him. It is a recognition of his sovereignty, of of our submission to his will in our lives that we're willing to submit in the area of finance. That doesn't make it easy. Especially when we're, when we're learning to tithe and we're beginning the process of giving God our first and best 10%. It, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to find room in a budget that's already met. Where am I going to come up with this money to give to God? Especially when we're living paycheck to paycheck or more difficultly when we're living in deficit when we're living in debt, when we are struggling to keep up with the interest, 
How do we find that money to give to God? Why should we give that money to God when it's going to hurt? Why should we begin this process of faithfulness? Well, aside from the spiritual benefit of worship and growth and understanding and submission to God that, that is producing us, there's also a practical application of what tithing does in our lives. It teaches us discipline. It teaches us how to save and set money aside. Instead of getting a paycheck and spending it on what we want and then trying to figure out how to cover the needs that we have, it teaches us to think about where our money is going and to carefully designate money to tithe, money to cover our needs and expenses, and then discretionary income to use for what we want to grow in those practical habits so that we can not be bound to live for finance, not be bound by the things that we're amassing and be driven to always buy more and also not be bound to a cycle of debt that we can never get free from, but to establish these, these meaningful and purposeful practices that will help us live with peace, help us live in freedom so that we can choose what to live for instead of making our decisions out of necessity and need. When we learn to be faithful with our money, we find the blessing that comes in our relationship with God. We find the blessing that comes as our lives come into alignment with him and we learn from these processes. Now, I understand how, how hard this is. I remember what it, it's like to, to learn to tithe and to feel the pressure and the guilt of not being able to come up with the money and struggling to, to grow in that area and to be faithful with the tithe. And I want to encourage you, wherever, wherever you are in response to God and your, your giving, that you would allow God to work in your heart to help you develop the discipline and the skill to honor Him and to be faithful so that you can grow in the way He's calling you to grow. You can be dependent on Him instead of on the, the cycle of finance so that you can grow in your, your trust and faith in him instead of looking to resources and being bound to, to those numbers and equations that you can live in the, in the freedom of faithfully serving the Lord. If you today are appreciating the, the wisdom of finance and yet overwhelmed because you don't know how it works because you, you, you're, you're stuck. You have huge debt. You're trying to pay off credit cards and you know that you're not getting out from under. Your debt is increasing all the time. The, the church here wants to help you with that. We offer Financial Peace University courses that are a meaningful and practical way for you to get out from under debt and begin living in the freedom from that cycle. I, you might have recognized I haven't given you any real practical tips on how to do that in this sermon. The wisdom of Proverbs is telling us about, about our attitude and perspective toward finance. This Financial Peace University provides the, the, the details on, on how to step free from debt and begin living faithfully in regard to finances. And if you'd like to, to be a part of our next class, I'll just have you at the bottom of your connecting card, right? Financial Peace. And that way we can gather a group of people that will be the, the students of that next course when we offer it. Uh, we offer it uh, regularly from time to time. Those intervals sometimes change based on who's interested in the needs. But we would love to provide that course again for you. If you could just mark that down, we'll, we'll be in touch. Because we recognize how important finances are, how significant they are, and how they can be a barrier 
how they can be, be a detriment to our spiritual lives if we allow them to overwhelm us and to, to take more control of our lives than they should. But we also understand the, the value of, of freedom, of living faithfully for God and not bound to these difficulties. We, we notice the significant parallel between debt and sin. You think about how overwhelming it is to be, to be struggling all the time with a debt load that you can't pay back. To know that because of the high interest rates, you're stuck as much as, much as you can pay, as much as you can afford to, to put towards those debts. It seems like they're increasing instead of decreasing and it's, it's stifling, it's suffocating and you, you feel overwhelmed and helpless. When sin takes hold of our lives, when there's a habitual sin that we find ourselves bound to, the weight, the oppressive weight of that sin stifles us in the same way. It chokes out our hope and leaves us feeling overwhelmed and helpless because we can't find a way to step away from those desires. We can't find a way to free ourselves from that sin. When we finally pay off debt, when we work and sacrifice and discipline ourselves, when other people help us in some ways and we, we come to a place where we finally make the last payment, that feeling of freedom is indescribable. The peace that comes from taking a, a, that, that new step in life of not, not having to give that money to an institution to service that debt, uh, of finally being able to make some decisions about where you want your money to go. There's such joy and freedom in life in that moment. When God poured his love out for us through the blood of Jesus Christ, extending grace that we couldn't earn for ourselves, forgiving us and freeing us from the shackles of sin. Think about the freedom in that moment, the joy that, that fills our lives, the hope that returns to us as we take that first step into new life in him. It's an incredible moment that we begin to fully understand how our the debt of our sin was paid by the blood of Christ. And we find freedom in that knowledge. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, for the wisdom that you provide to us about finance. We thank you for the, the, the meaning that you provide to our lives and the purpose that you provide for us. God, I pray that you would encourage us in this area, that you would, you would help us through the difficult moments, that you would, would support us with people to guide us and instruct us and advise us, that you would help us to learn discipline that we would be faithful to you, that we would keep a proper perspective on resources and finances and possessions, and that, God, we would always recognize your lordship in our lives. God, I, I thank you for these teachings, and I pray that you would stretch us and grow us and help us to become more like you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.